I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM. Fight of my life with Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver on Talk Sport. Hello there and a very warm welcome to Talk Sport. This is Fight of My Life with me, Russ Williams, and him, Spencer Oliver. Spencer, how are you doing? Yeah, Russ, really good. Thanks yourself. Yep, absolutely brilliant. And what a show we've got lined up for you over the course of the next hour. We will be speaking to a former boxer about the defining fight of their career. The build-up, the story behind it, the aftermath, the result, the lot. And on today's show, we're going to be speaking to this man. He's got to throw punches back now. Benji, take another coat, Reg. He take another coat until his head clears. Here, yeah, more problems outside the ring than in the ring. Could be breathing problem, Reg. I don't know. I mean, I've never seen a fighter doing that with a gum shield voluntarily. Not once did I ever think about how he looked, how he was. We're going to wrap this interview because we have a serious problem in the ring here, Jim, with Gerald McClellan. We have a serious problem with Jim McClellan. I went over to into his room and I kissed you then and I said, I'm sorry. Some moments there for you on TalkSport from the brilliant Nigel Benn, the Dark Destroyer. And before we hear from Nigel Spencer, what fight are we going to be talking about specifically with him today? Well, you know, Nigel was in so many memorable fights, but one fight stands out for me, Russ, and that was Nigel Benn versus Gerald McLennan. That fight he had at the London Arena, 25th of the 2nd, 1995. You know, Nigel showed so much heart in that fight. He got knocked down, we remember, in the first round. The fight looked like it was over, and he found the strength from somewhere to come back. And not only did he come back, he was victorious in in one of the most memorable fights in a British ring. How do you sum up Nigel Benn as a fighter, Spencer? I think there's only one word you can use to sum up Nigel Benn as a fighter, and that's warrior. I think he showed us that in many of fights, but in this fight more than any other. Well, we're delighted to say that man, the warrior, the dark destroyer, a legend of British boxing is with us on the programme, and it's a very warm welcome to you, Nigel Benn. Yeah, well, then, when you say that, the dark destroyer, that's not who I am no more. I, 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 that name is so, so synonymous with the, the bad part of me, to tell you the truth, and the good part, but I don't... To me, really, it just brings back a lot of bad memories, not good memories at all, the name of the dark destroyer, because everything that I'd done... It's not really who I am today, if you understand what I mean. 
Yeah, mm. I understand totally. You were in dark destroyer yeah. mode. Let's Absolutely. call it that. Yeah. When you when you fought Gerald McLennan, it yeah. was the 25th of February, 1995. Where does the time go, Nigel? 25 years ago. How did the fight come about? Do you remember? Yeah, well, I think you know what was what happened. My manager at the time said that um, Don King offered me Michael Nunn, but he said for a hundred grand less. And I said to my manager, I said, at the time, I said, I'm not taking 100 grand unless I'm world champion. And he said, men mentors said, if you don't fight him, we're going to bring in mini Mike Tyson. And that was Gerald McClellan. But with me, Perthick, that don't, that don't work with me at all. I'm not one of these guys, oh, oh, please, uh, OK, I'll take... No, I'm, I'm world champion, mate. I'm not, I'm not scared of any man. So when that kind of came out, Kind of changed my whole attitude. You think that I'm just going to swallow and think, oh, well, I'll take somebody easy. I'll take on the best that you can bring, and that's what actually what happened. Because it was, it was like, it was like trying to scare me into fight Michael Nunn instead of Joe. Well, I'll fight anybody. I'm the world champion. And at that time, I, I had my attitude. I, I didn't need revving up at all. So <laughs> I was already psyched for that fight. Nigel. You was a big underdog going into that fight, despite the fact that you was making the seventh defence of your title. He'd moved up in weight. Did that mentally do anything to you? No, not at all. Absolutely not at all. Didn't, I, didn't bother. I know my capability. And I thought to me that everybody had me to be knocked out between round one to round three. Didn't bother me. I knew for a fact that I was going to beat him. From day dot, I just knew. I did not have no fear whatsoever. You've got to understand, it takes you about a, a good year to adapt to the weight. He's gone from light middle to middle and then to super middleweight. Uh, it's a big, big, big jump up when everyone's talking about, you know, it's a big jump for me. It's a big jump for me. I've been in with the Barkley, I've been in with the Doug DeWitt, I've been in with the Robbie Sins, I've been in with the Eubanks, I've been in with the Watson, I've been in with them all. I wasn't scared of fighting anybody, absolutely nobody at all. I had no fear whatsoever. When you found out, obviously, the fight was on, Nigel, what was a typical training camp for you? Was it, was it a normal Ten, training camp or was it anything different? No, absolutely. Everything, all through my training, everything's just been the same. Diff, might be a different trainer, that was it. It's really, and it's so funny now, I actually learn more now than when I was fighting. I, some of the things that I'd done in there, I just... just, just brute force. It was just... Just want to have a fight. We're no boxing skill, and I watch how Connor trains today, and it's completely different to how I train. And I watch how Tony trains him, and it's just like, like jab, do this, do this, uppercut, do. This. I never really got on that kind of training. I'm really never. And I'm not knocking my my trainers, but they just, I don't know. It, it wasn't really much kind of teaching. It was just like I just, just really just fought. Never really learnt much. And what about the, the diet side of things, Nigel? Was there any specific diet plans that you followed? <clears throat> no, I just sometimes I, I, I had a nutrition coach. Sometimes I might have chicken for breakfast or, or fish for breakfast. Uh, and when I fought you, both, I was taking like 180 vitamins a day. You know, I was taking a lot of vitamins in the morning. And sometimes like 50 hemoglobin iron tablets. Horrible. Just healthy all the way through. That was it. Nothing really special about um, dietary. Come to bear how, when I watch how Connor eats his, it's completely different. 
get a bit of red steak down you, that's it. <laughs> red meat down you, and that's about it. And the funny thing about it, oh, don't drink the water, have a bit of lemon at night, that's it. Don't don't drink the water. Now they're drinking like three litres of water a day. What is that all about? <laughs> yeah. What about the sparring side of things, Nigel? Was, uh, did you used to take sparring partners over there with you? Who was you sparring for that fight? Well, I, I had um, oh, Dean Francis, I had. But the funny thing about uh, Tony Booth, but I didn't really have much sparring, mostly for Joe McLennan fight. I mostly had about mm, between 30 to 40 rounds, mostly all my fights. I never sparred. I hated sparring. I did not like sparring whatsoever. Once I got... See, a lot of people go in the ring, they like to have a war. I don't. Because I know when I get in a fight, I'm going to have a war. So that's why I never really got bashed up in the gym. Because I, I didn't like sparring. As long as I got my distance, I didn't need no more. That was it. Boom, here, here's your money. And if somebody comes trying to have it with me, I'll say, hey, hey, <laughs> don't come and have it with me. <laughs> I just, all I want to do is get me distance. I don't want to have a war in the gym. That's why I was never bashed up. I never really got bashed up in the gym. The only time I was getting bashed up was when I was in America because them guys liked to have a lot of gym fights. I wasn't like that. So I mostly had about 30, 40 rounds. That's it. Once I got my distance, that was it. You said, Nigel, that your training was pretty much what it had always been, but you did do something, I think, a little bit different in the build-up to this fight. You asked Paul McKenna to hypnotise no, you. No, see, no, no, look, see, no. That's not... Where do you hear that story from? If you really know the story was, was not about hypnotising me for the fight. It was about the breakup when I was having with my wife. That's what it was, my first wife. I was going through a lot of traumatic times separating from my wife. That's what it was, not about fighting. God. Listen, let me just put it out there. It wasn't nothing about fighting. I thought everybody, if I'm going to fight anybody, it would begin, if I was going to get hypnotised, it begins someone like Doug DeWitt or, 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 or Doug, uh, Doug DeWitt and Iron Barkley. Not Jim Clinton. I've never, never been that way. It was like... So you get more, me, more problems outside the ring than in the ring, and you know when you part with your part with your wife, so you know that that was hard for leaving my wife who had my three kids. That was hard, not not for fighting. If I was going to do that, I might as well have done it all the way through, because what it was at that time, oh, I was just in transition because now with with Caroline in, 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 in my wife now I've been with now for 20 28 years it was just a difficult type period that's what what I wanted it for and to break some of the bad habits that I had wasn't that for for me to go in there and say what do I say um, I'm fighting Joe McClendon can you hypnotise me no <laughs> some of the things that I actually went in for one, one for especially from for my wife and smoking spliff. That's it in a nutshell. You know, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to lie about anything. It's just like the weaknesses that I had. But it was definitely not about me preparing me to go and have a terror. I can do that normally. All through my fights, it's always been about having a war. I'm not going to start backing up because it's Joe McLennan. I didn't care who he was. That was my whole attitude. Those problems, were they happening just before that, that Gerald McLennan fight, Nigel? Was that no, that, that, that happened just before? No, that was that. Oh, from the beginning of my career to the end of my career, there was never been actually any peace 
absolutely no peace in my life. It was either some woman selling the story, someone doing it, someone... So all through my career, never actually, I never actually had peace. The only time I actually had peace was when I was away training. As soon as I stopped, that was it. All hell would break loose. Did you introduce a new trainer for that one? Was Kevin Saunders was a new trainer for that fight, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, because um, I think what I want you to really understand, you know, some trainers are just with, with me from, you know, for me money. All right, you've got to understand that, that, you know, I mean, my arm gets broken, no one gets paid. But you know what, so I thought to myself, you know, a lot of people was just me because instead of them getting, like, you know, three or four grand, I was getting, like, 70 grand a fight. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? So, I, you know, I had five different trainers and everyone was saying, like, you know, they made Nigel Ben. Nobody made Nigel Ben. The only person that made me was my mum and dad, and that's it, you know. And I had, I had that discipline from the army. I had that, that street fighting mentality. So, you know, when people start saying they made me, you know, it kind of really annoys me. There's the old dark destroyer now getting back to his fighting days. See, people always say him quite rightly that he's a great puncher, but Colin the boxer. That was a good shot from Ben. That was a good left foot. That's exactly what he needs. Get some confidence back into that name. This is some comeback in the second round, isn't it? It's Talk Sport, and you're listening to Fight of My Life. Spencer Oliver and me, Russ Williams, and our special guest, as you probably gathered, is the brilliant Nigel Benn. And we're taking Nigel back now to Sudden Impact. That's what the fight was billed as. London Arena, 25th of February, 1995, 25 years ago. Where does the time go? It's Nigel Benn, champion of the world, against the American Gerald McLennan, and it turned out to be a memorable fight, not only for Nigel, but for other reasons as well that we'll come on to. So, Nigel, you wake up on the day of the fight. How are you feeling? Can you remember? Is it is it that usual fight day feeling? Yeah, um, yeah. I think nothing, nothing never really, really changed. I think it was just, it was just um, the same feeling, the same atmosphere. I thought I done the sparring, done the running, done the gym work, done the pads, done everything. So. What am I wearing for? I took the vitamins. I, I, you know, so I was, I was always in good shape anyway. As soon as I, once I've done my training, go away, and I'm out there for six to eight weeks training. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just in great shape. And had no fear. Same way I looked at Iron Barkley. The same way I looked at Joe McLennan. With, with the same intensity. Not saying like, you know what? I had no fear. No fear whatsoever. Absolutely. It was just like it was just not, it was just a normal fight. I didn't I didn't have no fear. Let's fast forward to the dressing room. Let's, you know what was a typical dressing room like for Nigel Ben? You know what went on in there and what went on on that day of the McLennan fight. You know, what really went on? I would just sit down and think, go through the fight in my head. <laughs> the fight that I had in my head and the fight that I actually come out to <laughs> was completely different. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I'd um, I'd pray, and I'd pray, and I'd think about yeah. I had this one, but what, what was really going through my mind was what he said to my dad. That really kind of g'd me out when it, what he what he said to my dad. That really kind of really just I thought you know just so disrespectful to my old man. 
I just at that time it was nothing kind of really changed. It was nothing really different. I'm not going to try and put a, something on, on top of it of of the, of this fight. It was no different to any other fight. No different. It was just that it was Joe McClellan. That was it. No different. I was pumped. I was really, really pumped. Obviously, what he said, Nigel, to your dad, I mean, it resonated with you. You didn't like it, did you? And some of the language that McClellan had used, talking to the press in particular, about this being a war and all kinds of inflammatory words, yeah. they must have got in there, mustn't they, in your mind? No, I think, you know, what it was, it, it, I don't think it got in there because, it, it, I mean, I saw some previews after, after the fight happened that, you know, say so if he comes out of a war with me, it sounded like, you know, he's going to be in big trouble. But he hasn't been in a war. He has not been in a war. What happens with him, he liked to bully people. Mm, it weren't, weren't happening with me. Weren't ha was not happening. No, 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 no. It was not happening. And he was a bully. It's like, so the difference is when he was knocking everybody out, it's like, you know what? You might knock me down, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to have a war with you. And then, I t and if you watch the second round, the second round, I'm chasing him around. And even when he was hitting me, I didn't actually feel nothing. I didn't. I, something happened. Something happened after the first round. You know? Nigel, you said that, that you went through it in your head. You was going through the fight in your head and all that. What was the fight? How did you see it going? What was the? How did you? You said it was totally different to the one you had in your head. What was the fight in your head? <laughs> Well, I had him out between round four and five. That was it. That was it. It was just like I was just putting pressure on him. That was it, putting pressure on him. But I didn't know that I was going down, you know. But, like, uh, the fight in my head was just like, you know, because I, I, I see him, he always pressuring everybody. I've never seen him really, like, you know, I've seen him just walk out, take it to people, bully them, and, and, and they all submit straight away. They all submit to him. But I didn't see that with me and him. I just saw me just putting pressure on him, pressure on me, pressure on him. And then after, like, you know, the second round, it just changed. I forgot about it. I didn't even really remember the first round, to tell you the truth. I didn't actually really remember the first round. But when Denny, San Denny Mancini said that to me, even though he was just blowing smoke in my ears, you know, but I just believed what he was saying. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going for him. You've had your final pep talk with your trainer and your team. Obviously, your hands are wrapped. You've, you're thinking, you know how the, or you, how you hope this fight is going to go, Nigel. Yeah. And, and then, of course, it's time, once your gloves are on and the time arrives, the chimes of Big Ben, of course, your yeah. famous ring entry. It's time for your ring walk, and you look very confident, I have to say. How were you feeling? I was feeling brilliant. It's the, the, I tell you what, it's actually in the training room. That's the worst part. It's when you're getting out and you're walking in the ring. That's, that's it. It's, it's on. The time is now. In the changing room, it's just like, you know, you're sitting around, you wander around. Oh, come on, you look at your watch. Oh, come on, quick, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And you just, because you know what? Sometimes, like, sitting in the change with so many thoughts can go through your head. Yeah. So many negative thoughts or, or positive thoughts. It all depends what kind of person that you are. But you know that the, 
the, the clock's ticking and you just want to get it started. I just, just wanted to get it started. And so when that, I said, right, come on, Lodge, let's go. That was it. I was ready. I didn't have no heart flutter or anything. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. So that was it. It was nothing changed. Nothing changed. I was just so ready for this fight. So ready. Yeah, it's interesting, Nigel, isn't it? When you say, like, when that whip comes in, he says, right, time to go. The fight can be won or lost there. Because, yeah. you know, it's, some fighters are very temperamental and, and, and it depends on the magnitude of the fight. This was yeah. obviously a massive one, a packed-out London arena. Yeah. And you could see on your ring walk, looking into your eyes, this guy's here to win. He, you yeah. just looked like, you know, you looked like you was totally focused. I, I think what Spence said, it was just like, I was focused... I didn't even really know what was going on around, around me. All I know was that I'm just going to go into this fight and I know I'm going to win. And not once did I ever go in there with that attitude. Mm, I'm doubting myself. Not once did I doubt myself. I did not fear whatsoever. Even, even the first round, my mind did not change. Even though I was very wobbly, my mind did not change. I can't even remember... The first round, really. I just remember that, you know, I don't know, he just caught me some good shots and were they hurtful punches? Mm. They looked like they was to the back of the head, if I'm honest. He caught you with a right hand no, no, to the back me, of the it, head. No, he caught me one on the top of the head, but it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was just like, you know, I, I just I remember I went down. It's like, you know, I think, oh, I'm on the floor. <laughs> I'm on the floor, out the ring. <laughs> ducking very low, Jim, below the, the waistline, and as he looks as though he's done him in the opening round, and we thought this might happen. That was why the odds were so big. Is he going to climb back? You can usually get a bit longer to get back from uh, the canvas, more than 10, and he's going to. What a sensational start. Wobbly legs, but I was all right. I was all right. Just trying to avoid his, his punching. He had some power, though. It's like if I was a bit hit with a pickaxe handle or a baseball bat, to tell you the truth. That was the first round. Second round, didn't feel nothing. First round, it was like, um, just like I was just bouncing off. Everything was just bouncing off my head. I was just holding on, just like my legs were all over the, over the place, to tell you the truth. It was like, and it was so funny, everyone said, oh, you, you didn't beat the count. When you go outside on the canvas, outside the ring, you get 20 seconds, and I was way in there before the 20 seconds was up, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't think people understood or knew that, that basically, yeah, when you get knocked out of the ring, you was in the ring again after about 12 seconds, I believe. Yeah. And basically, you, you get through the round, Nigel, yeah. you know, he put on a lot of pressure. Yeah. You go back to the corner. Now, people now expect the fight is going to be over in this next round. You come out yeah. and you dominated from the beginning of the second yeah. round. Tell us about that. The second round, it was like... Um... When Denny Mancini sat me down and took over from Kevin, because Kevin could have gone in there and said, look, Nigel, you're getting battered in there. Now, that could have really disheartened me. But all I remember was Denny Mancini saying, look at the state that you got him in, look at the state. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> really? When he said that to me, it's like, oh, yeah, come on, ring the bell, ring the bell. And straight away, I just come out looking for him. I did, I, it was just like something in my subconscious because I don't remember. All I remember is like, I'm going to chase him around. It was just like, I just want to go for him. I did not back down. I didn't worry about his power. 
I just took the ball out of his court, mate, and just said, you know what, come on, let's, let's have a fight. And I just kind of kept on just chasing him, walking him down, walking Make him change his game plan. That's what I want to do. Make him change his game plan and let him know, you can't hurt me. And he couldn't hurt me. Everything that he was throwing at me, I, I don't know, his jab, bouncing off of me. My mind, my mind, my mind What was, was the strongest part of me, my mind. All I wanted to do was just keep attacking him, keep attacking him, see what he's got. And not only that, make him work for three minutes. And not at his pace, at my pace. The pace of a... A champion defending a title, That's and correct, uh, he's a dangerous, dangerous customer, as we all know. General yeah. McClellan in, in this particular fight and the fights before he, the three previous fights, he taken three and a half minutes to dispatch in total yeah. of his three opponents. So you were under no illusion what you were up against, but had that absolute belief in your ability. Let's take you forward to round five. Sorry, yeah, carry on. You know what it was, Ross? I didn't even think about. A, he was no different to any opponent. I never looked at him as anyone special. That was the thing. I didn't go in there thinking, oh, it's Jim. Did not think, didn't give one eye to who he was. So I didn't have that. I didn't have that pressure on me whatsoever. It's all the media saying, oh, yeah, he's going to bang him out. Okay, well, let's see if he's going to do that. Let's see if he, he's good as what you think he is. Round five, his gum shield is continuously hanging out round six, you knock Gerald McLennan's gum shield out. Why, why do you think he was doing this with his gum shield? And, and did you think to yourself, hello, this is a sign of weakness, this? No, not at all, Russ. I'll tell you what it was. It was just like, it was just pure, pure, pure pressure on him. That was it. And, knowing, and thinking that he was going to blow me out. That's what it was. So you've you got to understand now what's going on in his mind. I've not got this guy out of here and he's coming towards me and he's putting pressure on me. And then, you know, he started changing southpaw with his gum shield out and then, you know, what? I didn't even actually think about his gum shield hanging out. I didn't actually think about that. I never thought about anything like that because I was actually in a different place as well in my mindset. I actually just felt like, you know, I was just, just coming forward like a robot. I didn't have, you have no feelings. Coming up on Fights of My Life on Talk Sport. See, I told you. I told you I'm going to get this decision. And it was everybody doubting me because what they really wanted was, like, you know, bring titles back to America. But it wasn't going back to America that day. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, good right hand again. Oh, he's got in trouble. He's in trouble in the eighth round here. He rolled back from that punch and he was hurt then. Right above us here, Jim. Look at there he goes again. The wounded lion bit again. But he's, he's back in trouble here. Legs of that dredge. He's got to get out of that corner, Jim. He's got to get out of that corner and he won't. But he doesn't mind being in the corner. That was the own impetus of missing with the punch. He's got to count there, the referee. So it's the fight of my life. It's talk sports. Spencer Oliver, Russ Williams and the great Nigel Ben with us. And we're going through to the nth degree. The seminal fight, or one of them anyway, I think it's a seminal one in Nigel's career. You'll probably put me right in a minute, Nigel, that's fine. <laughs> no, Gerald you, McLennan. You do, you're doing good. You're doing good, Ralph. 1995, 25 years ago, the London Arena. We finished up just before we had that little sort of timeout, chaps, at the end of round six and what may or may not have been going on in the McLennan camp. And, and Spencer, we're moving into round eight now, aren't we? And Nigel, as you alluded to a little earlier, you went down in this round again. Yeah, it, it was so funny. He actually kind of, he, he knocked me back on the road with a right, straight right hand. And I, and I went back. And then I, I was kind of really tired then. And I threw this kind of single left looping hook. It was like a half punch, a half slip, really. I went down. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really a punch that put me, put me down. But then I got up, I think it was either a right hand or an uppercut that I gave him. It was breaking him. It was like thinking, thinking he just put me down. And you see, after he put me down, the punch, that, the three punches that I hit him with, it was like straight afterwards. So now that's that was really to me I feel that's mostly broken his heart and thought, oh, what do I do to, to keep this man down? And that was it. Round nine goes, he comes out and he complains of a clash of heads. Now it was a bit of a you threw a big right hand that seemed to sort of clip him, then you sort of followed through. He complains of yeah. a clash of heads and he goes down and temp- temporarily takes a knee and a lot of the commentators at the time were, were saying that they felt that he was swallowing it, but yeah. it was a brutal fight, and and swallowing it for me was a was a very harsh thing to say. Yeah, yeah, both I, you guys I, have been I, through it. I, I don't, I don't I think it was a, I mean, I did caught, catch him with my head. I don't, I don't think that yeah. he, um, he swallowed. I mean, mm. it was just one, yeah. of, one of the things that I just caught him with. Other, other was trying because I tried to fr- do it like a Superman punching. Failed miserably, but you know what I mean. And I caught him with my head as, as I went down. 
But then I remember getting back to the corner and Danny Mancini come out to me and say, look, he half swallowed, he half swallowed. Go and get about him. This is what Danny Mancini said to me. Go and get about him. Get about him in the next round. And I did. Mm. And I did because yeah. I, as the fight was going on, I was actually getting more stronger. Yeah, you could see that. You could see that as the rounds were going on. He was definitely tiring. You was definitely getting stronger and you'd taken everything that was thrown at you, which was soul-destroying for a fighter anyway. Round 10, we see him blinking really badly in round 10. Do you think the damage had already been done then, Nigel? Do you think that he was, you know, in some sort of trouble from what had gone on in contests? Do you know what, Spence? Like I said before, I'm not going to change my position because I think what it was... I was so focused from what happened to me from the, from the second round. All I remember, I didn't even, I wasn't thinking about him. Not once did I ever think about how he looked, how he was. It wasn't, it wasn't that, Spence. It was just like, it's just like I had an objective that I'm gonna get to. I gotta get, I gotta get through this. I'm gonna get through this. I gotta get through this. And I never, I, I didn't look at him or any, if he was blinking, I didn't, I didn't look. Mm. I, I didn't, I, I couldn't see nothing. I didn't look at, I, you know, sometimes you could feel, oh yeah, I worked downstairs, I worked down. I never felt like that. I just mm. felt like, I'm just going to keep coming forward. I'm just going to keep coming forward. Just try and punch it. Try, do you understand? So it's hard for me to then look at him. And say, you know, I didn't have time to think about how he looked or whatever. And all through my career, not one of my fights have I ever been in this position before like this. Not not where I didn't know what time of day it was or what, whatever it was. All I know was just fighting this guy. All I know was fighting this fighting Joe McClellan. And I, it was like a thing that I had to win. And I was not going to stop. I think because, I, maybe it's because of the press, everybody had me to be knocked out between round one and round three. You know, he's a good British fighter, but, you know, he's, he's not going to get to the top. You know, he's he's he's, he's the middle of... He's, it felt like that because we were always... Us in the press, we always think oh, we're second-class citizens in boxing. Like, Americans are the top boys. and It was like that kind of attitude that really kind of got my goat as well, thinking that, you know, oh, yeah, we've already written the Dark Destroyer off. Well, in round 10, Nigel, as you know, a big right you threw, lands on McClellan, he takes a knee again, and this time he's counted out. How did you feel at that point? <laughs> Being honest with you, I was over the moon. Just stood down there, like, yes, yes, it was just like... But it was just, it was a weird feeling. It wasn't like, you know, because um, afterwards, I mean, I remember Don King said, yeah, you made a believer out of me. I think, yeah, you really brought him over here to bash me up. I just wanted to let him know because I think at the end of the day, it was, it was, was I gloating or whatever? It was just like I was just letting people, I didn't know what happened to him, but I was saying, where is he now? I remember saying, where, where is he? Who is he? Who is he? Mm. Because everybody wrote me off. But after the fight, nothing really changed. I don't know. Was I gloating? No, I wasn't gloating. It was just it's another fight. It was just like, let's move on. I think because I had, like I said, so many issues in, in my career, in my life, everything, it was, to me, it was just like a a, 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 a part of my good career. It, was, it wasn't just like the, the only fight in my career that I, that I enjoyed. I, I had a great career, so it wasn't just that fight that um, where my career was focused on, but everybody made that fight like my career. 
but I've had mm. some great fights with Eubanks, Watson, Iron Bartley, Doug DeWitt, Robbie Sims. So it was like, to me, it was another fight. And, you know, people said, it was the fight of our lives because it could either have been me in that same position that Gerald McLennan was in. If I'd lost, I would mostly feel much more pain. And I remember coming out of the ring and it was like, um, I don't know, I kind of think like I kind of blacked out. I don't know if I was exhausted or whatever, but it was like I was coming, it was like I was coming back to normality because through the fight, I didn't feel a thing. But then after I got the decision, it was like, oh, my, my, my jaw was killing me. My ribs were killing me. My head was spinning. So everything just come on, on top. It was so much pressure actually on me that it's that like I had to win. And those celebrations are just a sign of relief when you go through a war like that in the ring and, you're, and you know, the celebrations come out and you react the way that you react after yeah. it's like celebrating and angry with like the press and the media for writing you off. That's just a feeling of relief, man. And when you, when you guys who are gladiators have been through a fight to that sort of magnitude. Well, it, it's so funny, Smith, because I remember like, like it was yesterday because after the fight, usually I always go out and party hard, really. And it was like straight away, I think, right... Straight down to ministry. <laughs> that was it. After we fight, straight down to ministry. I just, you know, because it's, I, I, like I said, I burn a candle at both ends. I like the party hard. But um, it's just one, my wife said, no, you're not going home. You're going home. So we was in the hospital for a couple of hours. And then um, I had to go home. It actually caused a problem with me and my wife because, like, Usually a lot of boxers fall into a coma when they go home, and, you know, after a hard, brutal fight like that. And then she kept on pushing me. I said, I'm OK, I'm OK, because she, 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 she didn't want me to be a boxer at all, my wife. She, um, so she went through a lot of things after the fight, you know, because I come out with a damaged nose, damaged jaw, urinating blood for three days and a shadow on my brain for just from one fight, just from that fight. So I had a lot of... Uh, 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 Dealing with a lot of pressure inside the ring and outside the ring as well. But I mean, you know what? You And then afterwards, I remember when when I come out of the, the ring, they put me into a room, checked me over, and I remember I went over to in, into his room and I kissed you then and I said, I'm sorry. That's what I said to him. Yeah. That was it. We'll come on to more about Gerald McLennan and, and what happened. And, yeah. and obviously we'll talk to you about um, when you met up with him again uh, yeah. in the next part of the show. But just to take you back, yeah. there you were, world champion, super middleweight. You'd had a heck of a fight, whatever you say, Nigel, you know that. <laughs> and at yeah. the end, during the interview, you're not quite there. All you lot were cheering him up, giving it this, giving it that. I knew he wouldn't be able to go the distance. No, no, you listen to me. I'd like to thank my trainer, Kevin Saunders. Everyone's saying, oh, we ain't going nowhere about Jimmy Kidd. Proved it wrong. And not only that, the person I'd like to thank most of all is Paul McKenna, who hypnotized me and made me believe in myself. I don't care what I know. You listen to me. I'm always listening yeah, to you. No. I've watched it over and over again. Okay. You're, you're, looking, you're looking at something, but you also you are angry with yeah. the media. I could see that. Is that true? 
Yeah, I think you know what it was. It was it was just like the, that the way that they feel that you know that I shouldn't have won. I should not have been here, and it was like a, everyone just worked me off. It, I, I, and I think at the end of the day, I don't think it was really the American press because I don't give two hoots about them. It's just like the the English press. I, every fight that I've been in, I've given you everything that I've got. So when I went in that fight, I want to show them that what what I've got. And I had an opportunity. I had a opponent there. They called in the mini Mike Tyson, and I proved myself. Nigel, sorry, yes. were you aware during that interview and the mayhem at the end of a t- world title fight that just a few feet away from you, Gerald McClellan was deteriorating pretty quickly, or, or could you not see, or in your state, were you not that bothered at that precise I was moment? Not, I didn't know what state he was in. I remember I was saying, look at him now, who is it? But I didn't know he was in that position that he was in. I didn't know. You know, you don't wish that on anybody. You don't, you know, your worst enemy or whatever, you don't wish that on anybody. You don't want nobody to come in the ring, come out, leave the ring, and someone to get, who's got brain damage. You don't wish that on absolutely anybody. You know, and it was like, I, I, I didn't look at it as like, you know, I just thought he was exhausted or something like that, you know. Because he took some big punches, he took some big. We both took some big punches, but I didn't know he was how severe he was. To tell you the truth, I did not know. Like, you know, I think at the end of the day, it was just like me, just like you know, just letting everyone know. It's like, yeah, see, I told you, I told you, I told you, I'm going to get this decision. So it was like, and it was everybody doubting me, because what they really wanted was like you know, bring the titles back to America. But it wasn't going back to America that day. Bad signs here for McClellan Reds. They almost swallowed in the previous round. This is bad, great signs for Nigel Benn. This is a, this is all heart has won this fight. He he's going to do it. He's got to stop him. I tell you that now. This fella doesn't like it the way he's going down. Of course, you're not going to enjoy being hit. But Jim Watt and I, when they go down like that, and he's shaking his head, he's going to count him out, isn't he? He's going to count he's him quit, out. Man, Jim. He's quit. He's done him. He's quit. It's the fight of my life. Me, Russ Williams, Spencer Oliver, and of course, star of the show this week, Nigel Benn. And we've uh, been through from start to finish the epic battle on the 25th of February 1995 at the London Arena for the WBC Super Middleweight World Championship. Nigel Benn against the overwhelming bookies' favourite. Gerald McLennan, Nigel Benn, became champion. And I, from what we just heard a, a few minutes ago from you, Nigel, just before Spencer gets stuck into you in the nicest possible way again, I take it that normally there's a feeling of great elation when you win a world title in your dressing room. This one yeah, must have I been was, particularly no, sombre. Uh, I, was always, I was already world champion. So I, would, I, didn't, I didn't become world champion. I was already cha- world champion. So was it somber in that dressing room because of the circumstance? Mm, I know it was a, it was a, it was just quiet. The whole atmosphere was just quiet, and uh, that's when um, someone said, "Like he's on his, he's in his dress, dressing room. I think he's not well," and that's when I went from my changing room. Over to Joe McClellan. He was lying. He was lying on the bed then. 
And I just picked his hand up and I kissed his hand and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. And that was it. That's all I said to him. And then I walked out. Was he conscious at that point, yep. Nigel? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We get to the next day and you find out that Gerald's obviously slipped into a coma. What was that feeling like, mate? I think the feeling was exactly the same because when I come home, my, my, my jaw, my, my left side of my jaw was right out. I was really in a lot of pain. Unthrill uh, um, feeling, it was just like, it was just like, I, it, I, my mind was blank. The whole, it, the whole atmosphere in my house was all sombre. It was, it was just like if it was at, at a funeral. It was just like, it was no, it was like no, no life left in our house. It was just, everything was just so quiet. There was press outside. It was just, it was just crazy. No one was um, singing or jumping around. It was just like the atmosphere was just like, just dead. The whole atmosphere. For a while. For a while. Because you'd like, like I said, I wanted to win the fight, but not at that expense. Tell us about the further contact, obviously, right after the fight, you, you've said what happened that you had with General McLennan and his family. Well, I remember picking up at the time the News of the World, it said, we wanted Ben dead. That was the headline. We wanted Ben dead. Now we want his money. So when you read things like that, oh, my gosh. That kind of just like, you know, I thought, oh, yeah. And at that time, there were some very choice words there. But, you know, um, I really didn't care. But, you know, we wanted Ben dead, and now we want his money. And I thought to myself... And that was the same kind of attitude like they had towards when I was talking to my dad, that same kind of stink attitude... But yet, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't think like them. I didn't think like them. So it was really annoying that you know that we wanted Ben dead, but now we want his money. No, you go and see your billionaire promoter Don King. He was the one that brought Gerald over to bash me up. So if you want any money, you go and see Don King. You know, and and that's how and that's how it's all how it was always been. I didn't really care about anybody at that, at that time. They were just horrible, just horrible. Did you ever have contact with Gerald again since Nigel? Have you have you seen him again since? Not only when we done that big charity do. That was it. When we raised a quarter of a million dollars, we had all the stars from East Enders, all the stars from uh, um, Coronation Street. And we, at the, me and Kevin Lushing, we put on a show at the Grosvenor House in Mayfair. Mayfair! Two street boys from the East End of London put on this big show and we were able to raise a quarter of a million dollars for, dollar for him. That's 12 years later. So, you know, we've we done what we've done. By that time, the, the dust had settled. My whole life had changed. I became a Christian. And so at the end of the day, I, you know, we decided to say, you know what, let's do something for him because I know for a fact Don King never done nothing for him. No one did. So we said, like, we'll do it. And you know what, what a good night it was. I mean, when I saw him, 
but my my whole attitude had changed. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't know how many times I cried. I had to actually leave. I didn't stay to the end because it was just heartbroken. Because like he was saying to, is he sad? No, unless he's saying, uh, is is he's asking me questions about myself, like you know, because he's asking um, his sister Lisa, like you know. I know he didn't mean to do it. I know and all the things that he said. And so my, my emotions was going up and down, up and down, crying. Oh, my gosh, it was the worst feeling in the world. It really was the worst feeling. And I just couldn't... I, oh, I just could not deal with that up and down, up and down. And then that was... So um, once and I'd done, something, done what I believe I wanted to do in my heart and, and raise that quarter of a million dollars for me, that, that, was, that was good enough for me. That was good enough for me. No, I have not seen. Ring. I have not seen him since. So, back to the ring, Nigel. After the McClellan fight, you had five more fights before you retired. You lost three of them, which is pretty unusual for you. Yeah. Did, did you think that the experience of of what happened as a result of the McClellan fight um, played on your mind and, and played a part in those defeats, or was it just the way it was? <laughs> you know what, it's just the way it was. I feel like, you know, I thought, yes, on top of the world, man, on top of the world. And afterwards, I got in the room, it was like, it was all bashed out of me. And mm. I kept on trying, I kept on trying. I don't think it was Danny Perez. I don't know who I fought after. I think Danny Perez, Frank Bruno's fight. I, I don't know when it was. I can't remember, but um, I lost two, two to Steve, but I don't know. I even bet 100 grand on beating Steve. But I've never never bet before. I've never bet before, so I've got to bet 100 grand to, to, to get myself up. It ain't right. That was it, but I just feel like, you know, it was all out of me, all out of me. And I think it was more to do with my personal life to actually do with actually fighting. I think that really kind of brought the curtains down on my, on my career, my personal life. Now that you're retired from uh, boxing, Nigel, and you know, thankfully you've you've come out of the sport in relatively good health. Yeah. You mentioned briefly that you're now a committed Christian. That yeah. leads, I'm presuming, to a lot of personal happiness, and that oh, must 100%, 100%. be com- compounded by Connor, your son, of course, as well. So everything's looking great. Well, you know what? It's, it's so funny, um, Russ. We, I, I didn't want Connor boxing whatsoever, and. Um, he, he was into skateboarding and all things like that. And all of a sudden, as soon as he turned 78, he said, I want to box, Dad. And being honest with you, I believe that Connor could be better than me because the way that he's actually getting trained, he's dead. Oh, he's so dedicated. He actually does my head in. He, he counts all the calories. He weighs everything. Ah. And what happens, because I'm living in his house now, it's so funny. No... You can't have them in there. No, if I bring anything in there healthy, no, he throws it out or he really gets the hump. He's dedicated and watch him how he trades now is absolutely un- unbelievable. But now my new life in Australia is like, um, oh, it's just uh, me and my work, wife, we both work for Hillsong Church in Australia where she deals with domestic violence. I deal with a lot of guys that struggle with drug addiction sex addiction, depression, and all things like that. And because it's like God's given me the blueprint to help these guys because I've been through mostly all these kind of things. 
and yeah, and, uh, and yet we don't get paid for it, we do volunteer work, and you know what, it's, we get so much joy to be able to help to keep a family together and, and help people break their, their addictions, and you can't get better than that. I, wouldn't, I would even put it above me winning world titles. That's how much I love the job that I've got. Did boxing make you rich? No, it made my wife rich. <laughs> well, put it this way, put it this way, I've been retired since 96, and I've got to give all credit to to my heavenly father and to my wife, Caroline, because, like, you know, she's like my knight in shining armour. We just built a lovely six-bedroom, five-bathroom on two acres of land in Sydney, and she bought it cash. I mean, she gives me pocket money, and I'm and I'm happy with that. She, you know, she looks after everything. I'm, yeah, you can laugh, but I'm I'm happy with that because because of her, I don't have to work. I don't have to work. She everything I I own. When we went to uh, tax accountant in Australia, said, uh, uh, "What bills? Are, what excess bills do you you have? Do you have a mortgage? No, credit card? No, I don't have no, I don't have no no debt. Nothing. No debt whatsoever. And that's all down to my wife. So." I'm blessed. I'm not rich. I'm okay. I'm okay. When I was in the middle of my career, right, and I was making a lot of money, my friend got me into Koi Carp. And I used to spend like, oh, at least 10, 15,000 on the fish and things like this. And then, and my wife said, no, no, give me your card here. And then I'd go and get a checkbook and I'd write out a check and give. This was back in the day. Write a check and give them to me. And Carolina go to the bank, why? Why is um, 14,900 come out of out of our account? Then, um, but I've got my, my 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 bank book here. She goes, no, there's, there's another book. That initially, oh, I'm using my other book because I used to just spend money like it was going, <laughs> going out, of, out of fashion. You bank goes and buys them. Aston Martin Valenti, what a Nigel Bender, go and buy a Bentley Azure convertible. So everything that he had, I wanted. So we had a crazy life in some of us. No, she pulls in the, the strings now. But at this present moment, I don't need nothing. I just need m- m- money for petrol and that's about it. Listen, Nigel, it's it's been wonderful having you on Fight in My Life. Thank, Thank you. you for the Thank memories. You, and it, we're so pleased that everything is going well for you, and I'm yeah. sure all of the talk sport listeners and boxing fans who are listening to the show found it absolutely well, I like fascinating. Well, I'd like to say thank you for all the people that supported me all through my career. You know, when I was down, they were down, and when I was up, they were up. And, they all, and I thank them all. I could not have made it this far without the British public behind me. This has been Fight of My Life with the legendary Nigel Benn. Keep listening. Plenty more boxing life stories to come. Until next time, from Spencer Oliver and myself and Nigel Benn, it's goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 